0: Let's Go, go, go. Alec, don't look at your phone while you're driving. Please put it away. Son, could you please put your phone away while we're at the table? Dad, why are you always on my case? All the time. Alec, could you please put your phone away just while we're at the table? We want to hear about how your day is going. How's how's your friends? How's school? School's going well. The guys are good, too. Actually, I was hoping I could go over and see them after dinner. Would, Would that be all right? Of course. Just make sure that you clean up and do your dishes before then. Grab your Bibles and go to Ezra chapter 2. Ezra 2, if you weren't here last week and you're wondering what you just watched, um, we've got a mini-movie that we have going on that's going to kind of illustrate our journey and study through the book of Ezra. And you may be wondering if you were here last week, that was the same scene. Uh, because some of the scenes are going to illustrate the same chapters. As we as we look at this relationship between a father and a son, it's going to illustrate the relationship we're going to see between the father and his church and His people. Um, so next week, if you're wondering, you'll have a new scene. So bring your popcorn, your Twizzlers, whatever you want for your movie and, and enjoy it. Um, but Ezra chapter 2 is where we are at to get us thinking about um, our passage this morning. Uh, in On June 4th, 2020... In Neshua, New Hampshire, uh, there was a lady outside on her front porch. She was just enjoying the day. Um, whenever she began to hear cries and screams for help, um, and so she gets up and she begins to look for the source of the noise, and she can't find anything. She goes to her front yard, her side yard, her backyard, and she can't find anything. And so she goes to her neighbor, thinking it may be her, and he finds her. She finds her neighbor outside, safe. And her neighbor says that she's hearing the same noise. So together, they begin to search. And they look in front of their houses. They go to their backyards. I mean, they're all over the neighborhood trying to find the source of this noise when eventually they realize the noise is coming from underneath the ground. And they kind of put two and two together and they determine they're hearing the noise from the manhole in the road As well as a culvert that's behind one of the two ladies' homes. And so they go to the main hole and they realize that this lady is right underneath the main hole. And as she is screaming from the bottom for help, they begin to yell back. And they learn that while they can hear her cries for help, she is unable to hear their voice of comfort. So they call 911, and the fire department comes, and they open up the main hole. They go down, and they find the lady, and not just the lady, but they find her dog. See, they realized that the dog had gotten loose, had ran into the culvert, and she chased after her dog. And by the time she finally found her dog, she was 150 feet deep into the sewage system and had no idea how to get out. And it's a picture where she felt abandoned and alone. And while she's crying out for help, she thought no one was going to find her. And I think sometimes in our lives, in our journey with the Lord, we can feel the same way. We're crying out for help. We're longing for him to rescue us, but our cries work to no avail. And God is just sitting there, maybe listening, or maybe just ignoring us all together. And the main idea of our text this morning, the main truth I want us to see is that God has not abandoned his people. God has not abandoned his people. Now, I titled my sermon last week as God has not forgotten. To be forgotten means to not be remembered. And it often happens accidentally, right? We accidentally forget that we have a lunch date with someone. We might forget to pick up our kid from practice or we might be tempted to forget to pick up our kid from False Creek Friday night around 11 p.m., hint, hint, right? We forget that stuff, but to be forgotten is one thing, but to be abandoned is another thing. Because to be forgotten is that they just don't remember you, but to be abandoned is to be remembered, yet they don't act upon it. And this morning, what I want you to see is that God has not abandoned his people. So Ezra chapter 2, and you may be wondering, how can you preach a sermon through Ezra chapter 2? My clock says I have 27 minutes left, and it's not enough. And so we're going to make our way through this. So the first truth we see this morning is that God saves a community to himself. God saves a community to himself. Ezra 2, verses 1 through 2. Now, these were the people of the province who came up out of the captivity of, the, of those exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried captive to Babylonia. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his own town. And they came with Zerubbabel, Jeshua, Nehemiah, Sariah, Reliah, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mispar, Bigvi, Re- Rehum, and Banah and the number of the men of the people of Israel. Now, you may be wondering how does he pronounce all those names correctly. I don't know if I do, but if you say it confidently, everyone believes you, right? And so we see in verse 1 that they come up from the province. The province most likely refers to Jerusalem, and they're identifying with their homeland. And we see later on in that verse that when they arrive in Jerusalem, they come each to their own town. Now, this isn't a genealogy. A genealogy is the breakdown of a family unit. But this right here is a list of many family units. In fact, what we'll see in a moment is the names that are given are listed by the names in pre-exilic Israel. And so we see that they returned to their own town. Now, keep in mind, we learned last week that they spent about 70 years in exile. Uh, The shortest group, if they were exiled in Nebuchadnezzar's third invasion, uh, they would have spent about 53 years in exile. But whether it's 53 years or 70 years, that length of time would make you forget a little bit about your homeland. In fact, many of the people who are returning probably don't remember their homeland at all. In fact, some weren't even born in their homeland that they were born and raised and matured in Babylon and now to be told you're going back home, you're almost questioning that. Uh, Babylon, Babylonia is home, not Jerusalem. But what we learn in the book of Ezra, a theme that we see is the continuity between pre-exilic Israel and post-exilic Israel. You know, we tend to think that God likes to start over, right? We look at the flood in Genesis chapter 6 through 9 and we almost read it as God starting over when it's not. It's a story of God's continuous judgment and grace upon people. We read this in Ezra chapter two, and it's not a starting over of Israel, but God is continuing his work in Israel before the exile. When we come to Jesus and the church in the New Testament, God isn't looking at the church and say, okay, I need you to do better than Israel. No, he is continuing his work in Israel by now turning his attention and taking the church into the fold of Israel. And I'll explain more of that in a moment but what I want you to see is the faithfulness of the Lord that time doesn't separate us from God's faithfulness you know some of us in here this morning maybe we're in a season of spiritual exile right maybe it's been five years 10 years 30 years 50 years since we've really encountered the Lord a moment when we felt close to him right Cross Timbers this past week was incredible. We're praying the next two weeks of Falls Creek are incredible. And those of you who've been to church camp as a kid, you remember those camp days, right? You can look back on those moments and remember the Lord really working in your life. And you can find yourself now 30 years removed from your high school camp experience longing to repeat that moment today. And the difficulty of life that you're facing and the struggles that you have and the sins that you've given into, the temptation that you can feel is to think that God has abandoned me. But time does not separate us from God's faithfulness. That he is present with us, he's active among us, and he has a purpose in what he is doing. See, the word Israel, often in the Bible it refers to the ethnic group of people, but sometimes, and in this instance, it refers to the heirs of God's promises. See, you can be a part of the ethnic Israel and not be a part of the spiritual Israel. Uh, Paul makes note of this in Romans chapter 9 on the screen. He says, they are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham, because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And what Paul is saying is that even though ethnically you have this Israelite blood, If your heart is far from God, you are not a part of the people of God. And as we read through the story of the Bible, we come to the church. And a tendency we may have is that the church has replaced Israel or that Israel and the church are two separate groups. When what we learn is that the church is brought into the fold of Israel. And the two are the same. That when we come into heaven, it's not Israel over here and the church over here, but it's the people of God together worshiping the Lord. And Paul makes note of this in Galatians 3. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to his promise. That God has taken the church and he has brought us into his family. And so the first truth we learned that I, I think I forgot to mention is that God saves a community to himself. He saves a community to himself. See, we learned last week that God has called the Israelites to go back to Jerusalem to do what? To rebuild the temple. Ezra 1 is the why of the return, and Ezra 2 is who returns. And they go back and they build, rebuild the temple because the temple is a place that God dwells with his people. When God saves Israel, he is saving a people to himself, but not just to himself. He's saving a people to each other. That they're a community that God has brought together. And so to apply this to our context today, the church community that you're involved in is important. And that the idea of church membership is biblical. That we learn throughout the Bible that the way you become a part of the church is through faith in Jesus, repentance of sin, and following through believers' baptism. Now the first two are the same. Faith in Jesus and repentance of sin. The two are the same of the two sides of the same coin. And that's what saves you. But I demonstrate that now through believer's baptism. And once I've been baptized because of my faith in Jesus, I'm now brought into the church and I find a local church to participate in. Now, I feel like, and I need to mention this, I think sometimes in our culture we hear church membership and it's almost like talking about money, right? We don't like it when the preacher talks about money because we like our money. We almost feel like he just is after our money. And we do the same thing with church membership, that all he wants is my time and to be here so he can say how many people are coming. But listen, this isn't a guilt trip about you being involved, but it's about you understanding that your soul needs people, that you are not created to live in isolation. You are created to live in community. And just having Christians around you is not enough. You need a people that you made a covenant with, to be with, and to live alongside life with. And it doesn't matter the size. See, Israel isn't very big. Sure, there are 40,000 people, and that would make a really, really big church, but that makes a really small nation. But the size of the group isn't what's important, and what's important is the size of God. And the work of God and what he's doing, and listen, building the church isn't always pretty. I mean, we love to, to, to post about what God is doing, Right? We love to have likes and retweets about the activities going on in the church. We love to see your posts or your conversations about what God is doing. But here's the truth. What we see on social media about what God is doing in the church isn't always reality. Or at least it's limited. Because church can be ugly because we can be ugly. That we can be broken people who sin against one another. And that we are full of hypocrites. And as Todd always said, if we weren't full of hypocrites, you wouldn't be here, right? We are people who struggle to walk faithfully with the Lord, but he's called us to be together. That when God called you to him, he also called you to a group to walk alongside with. The second truth we see this morning is that the individuals within the community are significant to the community. The individuals in the community are significant to the community. Listen, your role in the church is secondary to the community, but you are significant. And we see this in verses three through 58. Now you may have just panicked and thought, I'm about to read all those names, but I'm not, I'm not going to, um, because I will mess up and my confidence doesn't last that long. But what tends to happen is we read Ezra chapter two, or anything like it, and we think to ourselves, man, this is like, what's the point? But you may have wondered, how, how is the preacher going to make his way through Ezra chapter 2? Maybe you're doing the seven arrows Bible study that we've given you to work through the chapter, and maybe chapter 1, it was fun, and you're looking forward to chapter 3, but maybe your study of chapter 2 lasted a good 10 minutes, or maybe a good 2 minutes, right? But what I want you to think about is the fact that these people really lived, like, imagine for a moment that you read your great-great-granddaddy's name, that rather than seeing names like Pehath Moab or names like Hezekiah, you see Smith Fulbright, names that you can identify with, that these are real people. Listen, historically, this is given to show the Persian government, those who came back, those who returned. But spiritually, it's given to remind us of the faithfulness of God. Now, just a a few notes to make just so we address it. In verse two, we see a list of 11 names. Ezra is going to use the list again in the book of Nehemiah. And in Nehemiah chapter seven, there's an added name to there. And it's not because Ezra Intentionally, or not because he accidentally left someone out, but because he intentionally meant to. That for some re- reason, Ezra chose not to mention a certain name. And so it's no big deal. And second, uh, the Nehemiah you see is not the same Nehemiah of the book in Nehemiah. The name Mordecai isn't the same Mordecai of the book of Esther. Um, it's common, just like today, for people to share names. Uh, just like in Chicago, I'm sure there's more than one Michael Jordan. And I'm sure that there's been moments where Michael Jordan made a Reservation, and guess who showed up? Not the Michael Jordan, but you. And they're pretty disappointed whenever you showed up, right? And so just like Nehemiah, there's other Nehemiahs out there. And so let's kind of walk through this list. And what, what I want to highlight are the different groups. Uh, first off, in verses 3 through 20, we see people listed by their family heads. And these family heads are the names of of their great-great-great-granddaddies, right? It's not just their name, but it's referring back to those who lived in Israel before the exile. Uh, And then after the family names in verses 21 through 35, we see that they are listed by their towns. And these are the people who couldn't prove that they belonged ethnically to Israel, but they could prove they lived in Israel prior to the exile. And for us, again, it's just a listing of people by their family or by their land. But it's just a constant reminder of God's faithfulness. Remember in Genesis 17, the promise the Lord made to Abraham? What does he say in verses 6 through 8? I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings of the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Do you see the two themes? Offspring. Family heads and the land. That whenever Ezra divides the people by these two groups, he is proclaiming God's promise to be faithful to Abraham. That a 1, thousand, fifteen hundred years later, God is fulfilling his word. And so he goes on throughout Ezra 2, look at verse 36, we see people listed by uh, the priestly families. The priests were those who would offer the sacrifices in the temple. Uh, In verse 40, we see the list of Levites. The Levites were those who were not of um, the lineage of Aaron, but they were still Levites so they worked within the temple but they couldn't offer sacrifices Um, in verse 41 we see the singers specifically the sons of Asaph and if you remember the sons of Asaph they were they're credited of writing 11 of the Psalms Ezra 2.42, we see the list of gatekeepers who were responsible for guarding the entrances of the temple to keep nothing unclean from coming in. At uh, 2.43, we see the temple servants. Those are the ones who would come into the temple and they would help the Levites with small tasks. And then we see in verse 55, the sons of Solomon's servants. Those were the men who helped build Solomon's temple and they stayed in Israel once it was finished. The point I want you to see is that every person Person who returned was significant in temple worship, and the same is said of us. Every one of us in here, we are significant in the worship of the Lord. Growing up, my school in third, fourth, and fifth grade, we had a announcement program called KIDS. Um, And every day about 2.55 before we got released for the buses, it would come on TV and they would share like the upcoming week's announcements and they would talk about uh, kind of the the football team or the basketball team, how they're doing. And so uh, you had to apply for it. And one of the, the, the requirements was good behavior. I didn't make it because I did not have good behavior. But What was normal for me was just to try to ease my way and weasel my way into certain situations. And so whenever they filmed that week's episode of KIDS, they would say, all right, everyone who was involved, stand up and go to the media room. And so everyone involved would stand up, and I would too. And I would walk out that door, and I would go. And at first, they'd always send me back. You don't belong here. You shouldn't come. Go back. And then I was like, whatever. Next time, I'd stand up, and I would go. And eventually, they let me stay. And eventually, while everyone had a title like technician or anchor, and it would show up underneath their name on on the TV, my name would pop up, and it would say, here for no apparent reason. (laughs) That was my title. And I found a way to be in more episodes of KIDS than any kid in the entire school. When we come to the church, we sometimes feel like we're here for no apparent reason. We come and we participate and we're present and we're kind of thinking, what's the point? The point is that you have a role in the worship of the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 12, it talks all about spiritual gifts and how each of us are given a gift for the manifestation of the Spirit. What that means is that the Lord is revealing himself through you. Listen, when you use your spiritual gifts in the church, the people of God get a glimpse of what God is like. And every one of you who have put your faith in Jesus, you've been given a gift for the common good of God. The church. And so, what I want you to see is that you need other people, and other people need you. That you have value in the church because God has chosen to give you value. And whether you're a leader, like the 11 names, 11 men mentioned, or you're a temple servant, your role is secondary to the community, and you are vital. Listen, I'm sure there are leaders, there are days where they just wanted to be gatekeepers. And there are temple servants who thought, I could be a better priest than these people. And maybe they were right, except for the fact to what God had called them to do. And God has given each of you a gift to use in the church. But the final truth we see is that participation in community succeeds salvation in Christ. Participation in community succeeds salvation in Christ. In Christ, in Ezra chapter 2, verses 59 through 63, we see a list of two groups of people. One is a group of people who come back with the Israelites, who are just what we might call common folk, lay people, who aren't coming to be Levites or priests. They're just coming back, but they have no proof that they ever lived in Israel. And so the people say, hey, come with us, but hold on, because we aren't sure where to put you. We don't know what tribe you are going to belong with. But then there's a certain group of people in verse 61, three families who claimed to be priests. And notice what it says in verse 62. These sought their registration, talking about those who wanted to be priests, among those enrolled in the genealogies. But they were not found there, and so they were excluded from the priesthood as unclean. The governor told them that they were not to partake of the most holy food until there should be a priest to consult Urim and Thummim. And the point was to see that the Urim and Thummim would prove that they were part of the lineage or that they weren't. And we learn later in Ezra and in Nehemiah that the sons of Hakaz were eventually considered to be part of the priestly family. But the point I want you to see is that they couldn't just step in and participate in the family of God. They had to make sure they actually belonged to the family. That just because they claimed to be there wasn't good enough. There had to be the fruit, or in our instance, the confession, that their faith was in the Lord. See, God cares about the holiness of the priesthood. And the Israelites were concerned about doing everything everything to the letter of the law and so three quick applications number one detailed isn't legalism as people of god we are people of the book and as people of the book we are people of detail obeying the commands of the lord it's not legalism for us to say that salvation comes only in jesus christ It's not legalism to take a stand for life and sexuality. It's not legalism to speak about church membership and baptism and the Lord's Supper and prayer and Bible study and purity and holiness and everything else the Bible teaches. That's not legalism. That's obedience. Being detailed to God's word is what we are called to do. And for Israel to remain the people of God, they must walk in faith. Just as the Lord is faithful to them. But second, we cannot allow a welcoming spirit to be an excuse for sin. I know the temptation to want my home group, my small group, to be close and unified. I know the desire to want someone to walk in this church and immediately feel apart. And listen, we want you to be welcomed. We want to give you a place to belong. But you cannot belong to us until you belong to Jesus. And in our groups and in our church, we must be committed to holiness. And so I must be willing to address the sin in the lives of people. Because unconfessed sin and unaddressed sin is only going to divide us and lead us away from walking faithfully with the Lord. And then find the final application we're gonna kind of settle with to finish is that you cannot belong to the people until you belong with God. And to belong with the Lord means you find your identity in Him. See, here we have a group of people who they were not sure if they identified with the Lord. They weren't sure if their hearts were right. As we make our way through Ezra and we see the opposition from the people of the land, the reason that Israelites push back against their help isn't because they're racist or because they're all about themselves, but because these people who seem to want to help are people who worship other gods and they want to maintain the purity of the nation. And so we need to find our identity in the Lord. And so where is your identity this morning? The students are used to me talking about this, um, but we tend to find our identity in things we shouldn't. And it's what we would call our false identity. Now I'm going to kind of adjust this a little bit. Um, we got the lights fixed. We blinded the other groups in the last couple of services. Um, but we find our identity in other things, the false identity. Um, number one, we can find our identity in our family, right? Positively speaking, we find our identity in the successes of our parents. And I've learned that no matter how old you get, you are still proud of the decisions in the life of your parents. Or we find our identity in the successes, whether it's academic or athletic achievements of our kids and we almost think who we are is what they've done and negatively speaking we find our identity in our family right maybe our parents weren't very good parents maybe they did abandon us maybe our kids don't respect us or they don't follow us and submit to us and so you find who you are in the struggle to be a parent maybe it's in your actions who you are is what you do Listen, church, that's a struggle for me. For the next two weeks, 24 hours a day, I'm going to be a student pastor. I'm not going to get to go home except for a small period. If something crazy happens, which it shouldn't, but if something crazy happens at 3 a.m. in the morning, guess what? I'm a student pastor. At that moment, it's not going to stop, right? And it's easy to find who I am and what I am. Do And when we think about our walk with God, it's easy to find your acceptance or thank your acceptance by what you do, by what you say, by how you attend church, by your Bible study, right? Remember as a, as a kid, I don't think we do it so much anymore, but when you were younger, you came to Sunday school and you checked off the box on the offering card. Read my Bible this week, gave the offering, that's why I'm checking this card Uh prayed went to church shared my faith and it's like i was a good believer because i can check off all these boxes sometimes it's our lifestyle right who we are is the lifestyle we're trying to maintain the car the house the vacations the clothes we wear we want to fit in with the right crowd sometimes it's our successes maybe better put it's our reputation You've lived your entire life trying to get a certain reputation, to be known, to be liked, to be respected. And sometimes our identity is defined by our experiences. And what I mean by that is the things that's happened to you. It's waking up each and every day struggling with anxiety and depression. It's that cancer diagnosis. It's that abuse that took place in your life. And each and every day, you're trying to find freedom from that. But what you begin to do is let your family, your actions, your lifestyle, your successes, and your experiences define who you are. And when things fall apart, you panic. Your family sins, so you do everything you can, even if it's ungodly, to keep them in order. Your actions aren't good enough, so you try harder. Your lifestyle falls apart, so you do everything to maintain it so you fit in. Your successes get overlooked or your reputation gets diminished. You lie and you lie and you lie until you gain fake respect again. And then finally, your experiences. They've gotten to the point that you think that's who you are, so everything you do in your life is all about this past. But church, that's not who you are. And that false identity that you're chasing after, that you're living in, that you're trusting in, it's not giving you the satisfaction and the purpose that you want. And so what do we need instead? Well, we need what I call the true identity. That each morning we look into a different mirror, a spiritual mirror of a true identity that Christ has given us and that defines us. One, where we are triumphant people. People who are no longer slaves to sin, but we have victory over it. People who are not slaves to our experiences. People who are not slaves to the decisions of our family, but people who are triumphant because Jesus has given us the victory. People who are righteous and redeemed justified by the blood of Jesus, that every single morning I don't have to look in this mirror and try to uphold this lifestyle or keep this reputation, but I can trust in what Christ has given me, knowing that this will never fade. It's I'm unusual. I don't fit in. Do you recognize how strange this is right now? You got up this morning, got your kids all together. Why? So you could put your hands in the air, sing a little bit, open up a book that was written thousands of years ago, and worship a guy we claim to have risen from the dead that's going to come back riding a white horse with a sword in his mouth. And we try to make it fit with this lifestyle we're trying to live. It's weird. But why do we do it? Because it's true. And so as people of God, we want to embrace this unusual aspect and proclaim it. Because listen, what makes people want to come to Jesus is not that you look like them, it's that you're different from them. Sure, they may persecute you and make fun of you and slander you, but when they lose hope, they're not going to people who are like them, they're going to people who are different from them. And you're raising kids that you want to grow up and look different from the world so that you can change it. And then finally, you're embraced by God, adopted into his family. That while this family may fail you, and members of this family may fail you, the father of this this family never will. That he's faithful to you, and he loves you. And so you have the decision each and every day to say, am I going to find my identity in this or in the Lord? And so we have a group of people here who don't quite have an identity yet. But we do know that anyone who's willing to come before the Lord has eventually accepted. That they're brought in. That these people who come in Ezra 2... They're not left out on the outsides. That if their heart is genuine and they put their faith in the Lord, they are brought into the fold of God. You know, one thing I think about as I read Ezra too is the many, many people that Ezra doesn't list. And that can be hurtful, right? That maybe your great, great granddaddy did come back and he looked for his name and it's not there and you're wondering, why would Ezra leave him, leave him out? You know what? Sometimes in the church, we don't get notoriety. We don't get mentioned. We don't get praise from the stage or the announcement video, and that's okay. But there's one list that you don't want to be left out of, and that's the list in the Lamb's Book of Life that lists every person who's put their faith in the Lord. And if your name is not found in that list, you will not be welcomed into the presence of God. So how do I get there? Simply. By putting my faith in the Lord, confessing my sin to him, and in that confession of faith, I'm brought into God's presence. This past week, nine of our fourth and fifth graders put their faith in Jesus, and for eternity, they're walking with the Lord, and we praise that, right? And so my question is, how many of us this morning were like those fourth and fifth graders this week, dead in their sin, but now this morning are ready to come to life in Christ. In our moment of invitation, when we sing, I want to invite you to come, to come and to respond in faith and to put your identity in the Lord, not to chase after this false identity, but to find this true one that only Jesus can give you. And the rest of us, we've made that confession, we've repented from our sin. Now it's time for us to be involved to participate in this family. Maybe it's join as a church member. Maybe it's to find a way to serve and to help others find their place in this family, whatever that looks like. This is a chance for you to respond to whatever God is saying on your heart and in your mind now. Let's not wait. Let's not hesitate, but let's come before the Lord and give ourselves to him. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for this list, the list of the returnees who came back, And, God, we praise you even more for the fact that, God, you've welcomed us to be a part of this list. That maybe we aren't going to go back to Israel, but, God, we are going to return to you and come to you and be in heaven with you forever. And so, Lord, my prayer and my request right now is for any person whose name is not on the list, that, God, now you will give them salvation and add them to it. That, God, that they won't hesitate to respond, but, God, in faith they will come to you. And God, for the rest of us, may we be men and women who serve your church faithfully, serve this family faithfully, make a covenant to participate and to give ourselves to one another. God, you're a God who's good to us, who's faithful to us, and who loves us. And it's your son's name we pray. Amen.